morning, uh, I want to bring a message just called Accepted in the Beloved. And if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians and the first chapter, uh, and this title this morning is Accepted in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. Father, just pray this morning for your help. We ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the minister of this sanctuary, and so we pray for your anointing, Lord, that you would minister into this body, your body. You would minister into lives, even for those that sit among us this morning that are not part of the body of Christ, they are not saved. We pray this morning that you would speak into lives, that you would heal the broken in heart, that you would bind up every wound. Lord, that's why you died. We thank you, Lord, that you make us whole. And so we pray for your ministry this morning, Lord, that you would touch us, you would glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What a verse. He's blessed us this morning with all spiritual blessings, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, and having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Powerful, powerful word this morning. I I just want to, the Lord's led me this message just a a number of weeks ago, and uh, I believe the Lord just wants to minister to someone this morning or someone's, um, and just bring a, a real great revelation of what it is to be accepted, accepted, in the beloved. We live in a broken world. That's why Jesus died. And we know that the world is more and more broken than it has ever been. Um, there's much brokenness. We, we know, we hear it all. I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the headlines are, you know, it's something about something like a quarter of young girls under the age of 14 or by the time they get to 14 have been involved in self-harm. And you see all the headlines and everything that's going on. It's a broken world. The sum conclusion of all of this that's happening around us is this world is broken, but Jesus came for a broken world. And in that, often what people are suffering today is we see the breakdown of the family unit. Um, I believe that the attack really in these days is against God's order. That is a, a mummy and a daddy and the children to be brought up in that unit. That's God's unit. God has created it that way. And unfortunately and sadly, we're living in a world where there are so many broken homes, broken families. That has consequences in the lives of children. And I know there's all the psychologists and all the syndromes and all the ideas that are there. But you know, Christ, when we go back into the Old Testament and the types of Christ there in in Egypt, and the children of Israel, there was a lamb for a house. And I believe this morning that Jesus died for families. He died for mummies and daddies and boys and girls. And, you know, that whole unit is something that's been created of God. And the order of that is where the blessing of God rests. But you, you know and I know that we live in a world where it's broken. And in that, 
brokenness, there is a word that I want to use this morning, uh, and I just want to bring our thoughts or our focus towards this. Uh, the opposite of acceptance is rejection. And there's a lot of rejected people today, and that has serious consequences in their life. And often what happens within uh, relationships within the family unit, uh, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, and so on, when there's rejection that takes place, that can have a lasting and a devastating effect on that individual. It's Rejection is an emotion. It's not a spirit, but it will affect uh, one's spirit. Often deep within their heart, uh, there's a sense of rejection when they have been uh, rejected by family. It has profound effects upon them as they grow up in life. It often carries into not just their own life, but when they grow up and have relationships and enter into relationships and families, then that has an effect in their family and it has an effect then on their kids. And we see that often in rejection and often when this takes place, other manifestations come in the flesh like anger and bitterness and jealousies and insecurities. And that root really goes right back to uh, maybe perhaps in an early experience or even in a latter experience in life where you've been rejected and it's been deeply damaging and what happens is that pattern in our mind, the thought pattern in the mind is established and is contrary to God's word. And it brings people into a place where it's a mental torment or it's a mental bondage. Now, I just want to say this morning, if, if it's never been your experience, praise God, praise God. But this is the experience of many. And God deals with the whole man. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. And through salvation, God deals with everything. He makes us completely whole. Uh, what happens then, people begin to think wrong because of their experience. I, I simply say all that this morning, and at the end of this say, sin is the cause and Christ is the cure. There's a cure. There is a cure. Now, if you follow me within the scriptures this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I touched on this a number of weeks ago, but what often happens is that there is a wrong thinking, and thinking is important. We do it, we have thousands of thoughts every moment, every minute, every hour, we're thinking, but thoughts are important, and in, in when there's an experience of rejection, people always begin to think the wrong way. And what a man thinks, that's what he becomes. And it's really important that we, we understand this. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not a fleshly thing. It's not a method of man. But our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. I want to ask you this morning, what is the knowledge of God? Anyone want to answer? You can answer. What is the knowledge of God? You hopefully have one on your knee. The knowledge of God is God's word. So every thought, everything that is happening must be brought into subjection to the word of God, that is the knowledge of God revealed to us, and bring in the captivity, every thought to, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So very clearly this morning, it's what God's words say, and the Bible tells us that the truth will make us free. What is the truth? The truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, and this is his word. So it's the truth that makes us free. It's not a book out of the faith mission that makes us free, 
or a series of sermons that makes us free, and they may be helpful, but it is the power of God's Word to loose a man or a woman and to set them free. So every thought must be brought into obedience. That's a choice. That is a choice that we'll make into God's Word. I want to just say as we start, no one has ever been rejected like Jesus. Nobody was ever rejected like Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 53, if you turn to it, just follow the word this morning. Isaiah 53, so often what I've heard over a lot of years is nobody really understands. I want to tell you something, Jesus understands. Because nobody was ever rejected like him. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says, He is despised, and what does it say there? He is rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Several hundred years before Jesus came into this world, Isaiah the prophet brought us this revelation, he'd be rejected of men. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 21, Jesus spoke of his rejection. Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said, there in Matthew 21, 42, I'll give you time to follow these scriptures this morning. Did you ever, never read in the scriptures, he said, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus, no one was ever rejected like Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, in Mark 8 and 31, I just ask you to follow these scriptures, then we're going to John uh, chapter 1. Mark 8 and 31 says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man may suffer, may, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days he'll rise again. In John chapter 1, I just want you to grasp this this morning. Because no one was ever rejected like Jesus. Nobody. John chapter 1 and verse 10 says that he was in the world. And the world, listen to this, the world was made by him. That's Jesus. He's the creator. And the world knew him not. In verse 11 it says these words, he came on to his own. And his own received him not. Jesus, above all others, experienced rejection like no other. So I want to tell you this morning, he understands. He understands. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you turn there, we grasp this great truth of Jesus understanding our infirmities and our weaknesses. It says in Hebrews 4 and 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a savior. When someone says nobody understands, let me tell you something, Jesus understands. 
when no, when everyone else around you doesn't seem to get it, let me tell you this morning, say this reverently, Jesus does get it because nobody was rejected like Jesus. Nobody. Whom he created, his created beings, that's us. We rejected him. We rejected him. This is a wonderful truth in the scripture, a wonderful revelation that in Christ, those in Christ, and of those here this morning are not saved, find yourself in a very isolated place and possibly even have suffered much rejection in this world. There's acceptance in Jesus this morning. Now we're going to open this thought up, just take a little bit of time, because I believe it's going to help some in this room, encourage others, and it should strengthen our faith and fill us with the assurance that we are accepted in the beloved. In Luke chapter 15, we read of the parable. If you turn over there, we'll pick up on it. But we read the parable of the prodigal son. And we know the story very well. He wants his inheritance. He gathers it together. He goes out. He squanders it in the world. He finds himself at the end of the end of it all, broken and wasted and ruined. And he says to himself, I will arise and go to my father's house. And the journey begins uh, for this prodigal son to come home. However long that may have been, we're not too sure. It doesn't tell us. But what we're going to look at is his thinking regarding his acceptance with the father. He thought something that was contrary to God's word. Have you ever been in a situation that you've thought something and when the reality happened, it was completely different? Do you understand what I'm saying? You've maybe been thinking something for a couple of weeks, and then when the reality comes, it's actually nothing to what you thought it was going to be. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Well, the prodigal son had a thought, and Luke 15, verse 17, tells us of his coming to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hard servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise... Go to my father and I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Even the hired servants in the house, they've bred. So surely he give me some. That's his thought. The table in the father's house always speaks of provision. It always speaks of provision. I know when I was growing up as a kid, and uh, probably in the older days, it was more the central part of a family was the table. And when we were growing up as kids, I remember uh, my mother bringing us over to my grandmother's house in Loxley Park in Finnegan. There was a wee kitchen table. And as kids, we loved it because when we got there, we knew that the table was always going to be furnished. And I remember, you ever remember, I haven't seen them in a long time, the frosted brown glasses. Like those old-fashioned frosted brown glasses, and they used to be green. You don't get them anymore. And in those frosted brown glasses, my granny Spence used to put a Coke float. Remember Coke floats? They're not good for your teeth. But the provision was there. And then, as the bin men come, when the bin men used to have to carry, you probably not remember this, galvanized bins. You only remember when it was like real bin men, proper bin men. Big galvanized bins filled with ashes, and they had to carry that out. Then my granny Spence would have fed and watered the bin men every week. 
And so they had to come in as well. And then the wheat and flour has come out and the butter was just layered on about an inch thick. You knew when you got to your granny's table, there's provision. There's provision. When you get to the father's house, there's a table. And the prodigal son thought, if I get home, like even the hired servants, they get something. And everything of what I've done and the mess up of my life and the sin that I've committed and the mess that I, and the shame even that I brought, surely when I get to the father's house, there might even be, as the woman said, a crumb from the master's table. There might be enough for me. And so he makes his way. The table speaking of that provision because there's a table prepared for us this morning. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 23 and verse 5 that he prepares a table before me even in the presence of mine enemies. He'll anoint our heads with oil and our cups are going to run over. There's a table this morning. Friends, if we don't come to the table... The table is speaking of provision. Everything of what Christ has accomplished through the cross and the finished work of Calvary. There's everything at the Father's table. No one needs to leave hungry. No one needs to leave broken. No one needs to leave sick. No one needs to leave troubled in their mind. There's healing at the Father's table. But his thinking was wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? He came to God's house thinking the wrong way. And if he had stayed in that thought process, he might have left the same way he came. The song says, you'll not leave here the way you came in Jesus' name. And so have we come through the double doors of a building this morning to a spiritual gathering that's God's house and there's a table You know, the children of Israel in Psalm 78 provoked the Lord in the wilderness. They are there as our example. And they tempted the Lord in their heart. And they were asking meat for their lust. And they spake against God and said, Can God even prepare a table for us in the wilderness? They provoked God. Let me tell you, friends, God can prepare a table in the wilderness. God can prepare a table in the midst of a prison house. God can prepare a table wherever you are this morning. There's provision through Jesus Christ. And in the Father's house, he's thinking of a table. And in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle and there was a table. And there was showbread on the table. The bread of the presence. The living bread that spoke of Christ. And Hebrews 9 and 2, it says, There's a tabernacle made the first, wherein is the candlestick and the table and the showbread, the bread of the presence. It was changed every Sabbath, that there was fresh bread, always speaking of the provision that there would be in Jesus Christ, because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Every Sabbath, those new loaves were placed because it speaks of that provision. Twelve unleavened loaves piled on two piles of six. And the bread is designed to be a symbol of the full and never failing provision of Jesus. He is Jehovah Jireh. He brought me into his banqueting house. And his banner over me is love. There's provision for all in the house. Now in this thought... 
And in this process, as he's making his way, I've sinned against heaven. I'm before thee. I'm not worthy to be called. What did he say? I'm not worthy to be called a, a son. He had this thought in his mind. I'm not worthy to be a son. There's a, there's a great battle in many lives. Not all. But there's a great battle in many lives feeling that they're not worthy as sons. They have a thought that, well, I'm not worthy to be called a son. They have the mindset of a hired servant. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just make me one of the I'd be happy just to be in. But I have a mindset, I'm a hired servant. This thought, of course, is contrary to God's word. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. We bring all those thoughts in the subject to the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's God's word. So it has to be a choice by the grace of God. So we had this thought as he's approaching the Father's house where there's enough for all, where there's provision for everyone, that I'm more like the hired servant than a son. So I'd be content if, you know, if I just make it in and get the back row there, everything's fine. I'm not saying if you're on the back row, that's how you think, but just saying. And maybe they'll dispare me the odd loaf because I messed up. I want to let you know something we've all messed up. If there's one person in here that feels that they're good enough, friends, not one of us are good enough. And so he comes to the house. But I'm like the hired servant. The hired servant had a duty in the house. He was in the house. He was fed by the father. He was provided for. But they were never family. They're never family. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're in the house. They're paid by the Father. They're provided for. But they're never family. They're never family. He had no rights to the inheritance. He performs a function. He's paid for his duty. His day begins. His day ends. And his appointment was there. Now the son returns with this thought. I'll just be like the hired servant. I tell you, friend, if you're saved this morning, you're not a hired servant. You're a son. And you're a daughter of the living God. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, if you look at the verses, he arose, he came to his father. And it says, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. What's the first thing that happens? His father had compassion. What a God we serve. His father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and said, and the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be a son this morning. Friends, not one of us are worthy to be called the sons of God. The father said to his servants, have you room in your quarters? I need another servant. No, he didn't. The father said to his servant, bring forth, what did he say? Bring forth the best robe. Do you know God has enough best robes for every one of us? It's not just for one or two. Everyone's got the best robe. You hear me this morning? This suit might have been out of Matlan. Yours might have been out of wherever. But I'm going to tell you, friends, we've got the same robe of righteousness. It's the best. Mine's not better than yours, but yours isn't better than mine. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Bring forth the best robe. 
He says, and put it on him and put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet and bring hither the fatted calf because there's provision here. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. This is my son. He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. Praise the Lord. There's provision. And Paul's letter, I want to continue on in this thought. When he was writing to the church of churches in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4, if you would turn over there. There was a great conflict taking place in the early church, particularly uh, from those from the Jewish community who had got saved and uh, they were in the church. There were Gentiles being brought in, the great revelation that came that there's neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. And so he's writing. Now what was happening at this time, just to put the context for you, is those from the Jewish tradition were bringing this thought in that when you're saved, your salvation isn't complete unless... You bring in some of the Old Testament rites, then that makes you complete. For example, circumcision of the flesh. So this was coming into the church. Your salvation is not complete unless you bring in some of the Old Testament rites. Paul's arguing, listen, it's by faith alone. It's by grace alone. It's a gift of God. We don't need nothing else but trust and faith and repentance. And Jesus Christ alone, that saves us. So there's a conflict taking place in the churches. Is there something to add to this salvation? Friends, there's nothing to add to this salvation. Christ has paid the price in full. And he writes, stand fast in the liberty where Christ has made you free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so there's this, this argument goes on through the centuries. Actually, it still goes on today. Not so much the Jewish tradition being brought back in. Although we see... Sometimes some of those things trying to creep in, but religious activity or traditions of men. Well, our tradition has always taught us to be this way. I want to tell you, friends, Christ has come to set us free. The liberating part of God. So now he writes, and in Galatians 3, uh, verse 29, we'll pick up the last verse. It says, and if you be Christ's, if you're saved, that's what he's saying, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're an heir this morning. And then he goes in to Galatians 4. Now, this one, to remember the prodigal thought, I'd just be happy to be a hired servant. I'm not worthy to be called a son. But that wasn't the truth. Galatians 4 and 1 Paul starts to write and say, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. What's he talking about here? Seems a bit strange. He's talking about a child and an heir and a servant. He's talking about in that house, speaking of that Old Testament tradition and Israel, he says that when there's a child in that house, that child... It's just like the servant, even though that child is an heir. So under the Old Testament dispensation, Israel had not come into the fullness of what it was that they would be saved through Jesus Christ. So then he says these words, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And then he says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, that we're under the law, that we might receive, what would we receive through the gospel, through Jesus? The adoption of sons. 
And verse 6 says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7 then says, I just want you to read this. Wherefore thou art no more, what does it say? A servant. Now this we know we're here to serve. And we know that Christ gave us an example as a servant. But this is talking about something different. That you're no more a servant. Remember what the prodigal said, I'd just be happy. He just makes me a hard servant because I'm not worthy. And people speak things like that over themselves and actually live their life and believe that. Listen, here's the truth. Not one of us are worthy. But He, God, has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts if you're saved. And that Spirit within us, so when you say that with your mouth, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God says that I'm not a servant, but I am a son of God. Whether you're male or female, it's generic. You're a son of God this morning. Therefore, you're no more a servant, but a son. And if you're a son, here's the good news for you. You're an heir of God through Jesus Christ. You've got an inheritance. Isn't that awesome? You've got an inheritance. Listen, we've got an inheritance this morning. The battle here is for the truth. We are now the sons of God. The servant. The hired servant. But we're the sons of God. And we're the sons. We're heirs. And if we are heirs this morning and joint heirs with Christ, we have an inheritance. In Romans 8, if you turn over to chapter 8 and verse 15, it says these words, because there is a spirit of bondage that can come into people's mindset that brings them into a place of fear. But if you've received the spirit of Jesus Christ, The Bible says you have not received that spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Here's the key in all of this. Verse 16. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit itself, this is so crucial in this walk. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. And joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. I want to tell you, friends, in the world that we're living in, there is something miraculous and wonderful in this new birth when the Spirit of Jesus Christ comes into our lives and into our hearts, and the cry and the revelation comes that we cry, Abba, Father, I'm no longer a servant, but I'm a son of the living God. It says when he was a great way off, the Father seen him. Ephesians 2 and 4, it says, But God is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he would show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to, toward us through Jesus Christ. 
The mind and the process of that mind. Do you know, have you ever heard it said, I know certainly many times in here, the battle's in the mind, isn't it? The battle is in the mind. The mind, of course, has serious consequences because if we don't think the thoughts of God, that's God's word, and we begin to believe something that is a lie can have a profound effect upon us. We're not bringing that thought into subjection to the word of God. And so when we begin to believe a lie that's not in God's word, a lie, it becomes a stronghold, a hindrance, and the whole wonderful truth and knowledge of acceptance is lost on that individual. They think according, this is really important today where we are, they think according to their experience rather than God's word. You hear, now the experience is real, the experience is profound, but they think not according to what God says, they think according to what their experience is. That's why we need faith. Faith isn't what we see, faith isn't believing God's word. Now there can be many reasons why we're thinking this way. There can be a family background, there can be a personality weakness. We can lean on to someone who has let us down or rejected us. And thinking rejection even over ourselves, but it's deadly. The real liberty comes in a life that is experienced. That real rejection, the real liberty comes when we look to Jesus. Because no one was rejected like Jesus. That's where we need to look. We detailed this rejection earlier, but overcoming rejection requires, I want you to listen, it requires an act of God's grace. And God is willing to give you grace this morning. You see, if it's just mechanical, do A, B, C, and that equals you're free. Without the living reality of the grace and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we need God to minister into that life. The reason we hold rejection often is because, and I'm just moving right into the core of it all, is because we can't forgive the person who rejected us. We can't forgive the person who rejected us. We're in great need of a move of God. We're in great need of a move of God. I believe God moves through His church, through His people through his body, the worldwide body of Christ. If there ever is a day when we know that the church isn't crippled by the powers of darkness or demonic forces, the church has become crippled with unforgiveness. Crippled with unforgiveness. There's the great, glorious, liberating power of forgiveness. Think about it this morning when he was rejected by all, forsaken, abandoned, and there he hanging on a shameful cross, stripped of all his clothes, his back torn like a plowed field, nails driven through his hands and his feet, a crown of thorns plunged into the depths of his crown, his hairs ripped from his very face, beaten, battered, bruised. Friends, it was brutal. It was brutal. What creation did to their creator. And from the lips of Christ, 
as he hung on that cross, he cried these words, Father, forgive them. The power of forgiveness, the great move of the Spirit of God in any revival is that there is a great dealing and a great deep work of God in the hearts of his people. Surely the biggest hindrance to the power of God working today, I certainly have never believed it's the, it's the devil because I believe he's defeated. But the great hindrance to the power of moving and flowing through our land today and through the church of Jesus Christ today is that for the most part, and to the level of this, only God knows it is certainly filled with unforgiveness. Yes, you've been rejected, but friend, will we remain in the place of rejection, bitterness, anger, wrong thinking, even the rest of our lives, that that is the life that we choose to live in a place of bondage and the spirit of fear, rather than cry out, Jesus, would you come and would you heal my broken spirit? We pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread because there's provision. Forgive us our debts because we forgive. Don't we? Forgive my debts. But then what does he say? We're to forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And we'd all say amen to that. And then he says in verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In verse 15 he says, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's very serious words from Jesus, isn't it? Some would say, Tim, you don't really understand. I probably don't. But no, Jesus does. Some would say, but you don't know how wrongly I've been treated and what they did on me or what they said to me or how I've been rejected. I may not understand that. But I tell you, I know Jesus does. The hymn writer says, See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. You see, friends, truly, they really knew that they were the followers of Jesus because of this one great truth. Do you know what it was? They had love one for another. Out of Calvary flowed a love that's not like human love. It's not like human love. A love that knows no limits. A love that was unconditional. And friends, if we claim as the church of Jesus Christ to really love Jesus, to really love the Lord, but that love isn't shown among us, the Bible says that we lie. And so Paul begins to bring this revelation to us of acceptance, of forgiveness, of mercy, of love, the love of God. 
How many people do you know or have you talked to, for example, in the last five years and you've heard these words, I got hurt? I would say if every Christian was honest, you've probably heard it at least once, surely? We're accepted in the beloved. The beloved this morning is Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In a world that's filled with rejection, this word accepted simply means to endure with special honor. Think about it this morning, that when you were saved, that God endured a special honor upon your life. It actually goes on, and the whole meaning of it says, you are highly favored. Think about it this morning. You are highly favored. How many have come in to the house of God thinking, I'm not worthy? Thinking, I'm just like one of the hired servants. Thinking, I don't really feel that I can be part of all of this. Friends, you may think this morning, some may say, I don't understand really what he's saying. I've never felt that. I'm going to tell you, friends, over 13 years, I've come across literally dozens of people that think that way. You're accepted in the beloved. And if you've suffered great rejection this morning, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. And that choice is to bring everything of that life into subjection to the Word of God. And by the grace of God, that God would enable you to forgive. And friends, if you do it, I'm going to tell you what will happen the forgiveness and the liberating power of God will loose you and the revelation that you're accepted in the beloved will grip your heart to know this morning, to know this morning the great mercy and the great grace of God that I am accepted in the beloved. Think about it. Accepted. Highly favored before the throne of grace. What an amazing Savior. What an amazing God this morning that would take us unworthy sinners and make us sons and daughters of the living Christ. You got a choice this morning, friend. The choice is forgiveness. And bringing your thoughts in the subject to God's word. To experience the reality and the ministry of Jesus. That you're a son of God. What a savior this morning. That you can forgive even if you've been mistreated or an injustice. Because you'll experience that in life. All of us will. But the choice to forgive. And for the grace of God. To bring this revelation. Let me tell you, friend, you're saved this morning. There is no second class Christians here. There is no big people and wee people. There is no one here this morning that's better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by grace. Your mindset is, and could be for a long time, I don't really believe that I'm more like the hard servant. I'm going to tell you, you're speaking death over yourself. 
You're a son of the living God. And you've a place at his table. And that table speaks of provision. There's bread this morning. There's victory this morning. There's healing this morning. There's deliverance this morning. There's forgiveness this morning. There's the love of God to fill that life today. I'm accepted. Listen, friend. Your whole family could have rejected you, turned their back on you and walked away. I want to tell you something. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. You're accepted in the beloved. You're highly favored. You're a son of God. Don't ever speak death over yourself or believe the lie of the enemy. You're a son this morning. And if we're sons, we cry, Abba, Father. We have a father this morning that loves us. Let's pray together. Just as we bow our heads this morning, just come before the Lord. Just still our hearts today. Pray much just for the ministry, not of a sermon or a ministry of a man, but the ministry of the man, that is Jesus. I understand this morning that this may not be a message for everyone. I pray that in some way that you've been able to glean something from it because you may meet someone throughout this week that's been rejected. We've got a great gospel and a great Savior who accepts sinners and broken and rejected people. Maybe you've been saved for a long time. You know the Lord and you know you're saved, but maybe through experiences that you have gone through, perhaps even in church life, a family life, a close friend. The situations can be all different, but you've experienced deep rejection. has had a very profound effect upon your life, on your thought and your thinking, and your interaction with people. You've carried a great burden, been greatly troubled, even at times tormented in your mind. You find it difficult to even open up and talk about it, but it's real. I just want to encourage you this morning and say this. Jesus loves you. He died for you. The spirit within you is the spirit of Christ that cries Abba, Father, you're not rejected by God. Jesus has made us worthy through his death and his resurrection, through his blood, through his robe of righteousness. It's Christ this morning. We're accepted not in our works or in our doings. We're accepted in the beloved. The beloved is Jesus. We're accepted in him. You're here this morning and you understand and know Maybe one or two just in this room have experienced that great sense of rejection and brokenness. Perhaps very few people know anything about it. I want to be sensitive to that this morning. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want to pray for you for where you are, but so that I know to pray, particularly not even mention your name, but I just want to pray for you this morning. As the end of this service, if that's you this morning, you want me to pray for you in this closing prayer, would you just indicate that you would like me to pray for you by putting your hand up 
putting it down again, knowing that God is able to heal a broken life and a broken heart today. Make that conscious decision to bring that life into subjection. Amen. Anybody else this morning?